The word of our Lord from the Gospel of Luke. When the day of unleavened bread had come, the day in which the Passover must be killed, Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. And so they asked him, Where do you want us to prepare? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. Then you shall say to the master of the house, the teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished upper room. There make ready. So they went and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. Now when the hour had come, Jesus sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said to them, With fervent desire, I, for I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you would bless the reading of your word to our hearts, to our minds, to our lives. We pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Last Sunday, I delivered the first in a series of three sermons on suffering. And I said that suffering is personal and has a unique ability to shake us to our core. I said also that generally speaking, we want answers for two kinds of suffering, pain and death. The scriptures tell us that suffering has its origin in sin. And suffering is even worse when it is intentional or when it is directed toward the innocent. Having acknowledged suffering as an unmistakable reality and critiqued some common mistakes made about it, I promise you that today we'd look at suffering in the light of Holy Communion, and the next Sunday we'll address how to engage a suffering world, especially those who are suffering. And so if you missed last week's sermon, and you're interested in what I had to offer, please visit our podcast on our website faithmethodchurch.org slash podcast. Uh, you can do like so many others have done and subscribe to, uh, to, to our podcast through iTunes or you can just pick up on, on that sermon if you're wondering what was said last week. Okay, so suffering and Holy Communion. Let's get to it. The Gospel writers are clear about the purpose of Jesus' coming. They are clear about the purpose of His becoming flesh and dwelling among us. And one of the ways that they make that purpose clear to us is they, they are always alluding to and referencing the hour that is to come. And that is the hour of Jesus' glorification. 
Now, there have been glimpses of his glorification. If you'll remember the mountain of transfiguration, when Peter, James, and John were brought up onto the mountain and saw Jesus transformed before their eyes, and his clothes were dazzling white, and his face was shining, and there appeared with him Elijah and Moses. And he spoke with them. But he spoke with them about his suffering that was to come. Because the hour of Jesus' glorification is not on the Mount of Transfiguration. That is a glimpse of it. The hour of His glorification is the hour that He is raised up on the Mount of Crucifixion and suffers and dies. And so Luke tells us the hour had come. The hour had come Not just to celebrate the Passover meal with His disciples, but the hour had come, the time had come for Jesus to give of Himself for His people. He is aware that a plot is being undertaken between the scribes and the chief priests and one of His own twelve disciples, Judas Iscariot. And He is aware that the scribes and the chief priests are desiring to silence Him by death, and therefore to silence the crowds, to silence the multitudes, those who are looking to Jesus as their new king. They want to do away with him. They want to get rid of this uprising. They want to get rid of this multitude and this following. And so the easiest way is to remove the one in whom they are placing their hope. Jesus is aware of what awaits him suffering. In fact, when he's speaking to his disciples, as they have gathered together in this upper room, he mentions his suffering. He knows what is before him. He knows what he is facing. And he knows that it will be difficult. And so Jesus tells two of his disciples, I want you to go And prepare a room for us to celebrate the Passover together. Now it was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. A time where Jewish people were preparing themselves for Passover. And the day had come for the Passover lamb to be killed. The day had had already come for that lamb to be selected. According to tradition that lamb would have been selected on Sunday. We call it Palm Sunday The day that Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the donkey and presents himself as the Lamb of God for the people of God. But the day has now come for the Lamb to be slaughtered, for the Lamb to be roasted, and for the Lamb to be consumed by all faithful people. If we're dealing with God's words for us, when words fail, we ought to look at what are some of the words of Christ. And let's look not just at what Jesus says in these few verses that we've read this morning, but what we know He will say in subsequent texts. 
that this brief passage is actually driving toward because this is a driving passage. It is moving us toward what is to come. In doing so, let's also look at the implications of what Jesus says as they relate to suffering. Jesus says, this is my body. This is my blood. Those are words that are very common to us, very, very recognizable as people who gather together to worship on a regular basis. We know what we're talking about. We know what, what is being talked about when we hear those words, my body and my blood. But we ought not miss the impact of what those words signify to us and what they mean to us. Because Jesus redeems our suffering by suffering Himself. He doesn't just wish it away. He doesn't just say, oh pity. He redeems our suffering by suffering Himself. Personally. In His body. In His very own self. He suffers so that He might redeem our suffering. And so He says, this is my body. This is my blood. They are given for you. He suffers Himself personally to redeem our suffering because He suffers vicariously. He suffers in our behalf. And only He can do that. You can't suffer for the sake of someone else. You can suffer with someone else, but you can't suffer for the sake of someone else. Let alone for the sake of the whole world. But the Scriptures tell us that that's indeed what Jesus Himself did when He took our suffering into His very own self. He did it personally and He did it vicariously. He, he, his suffering is a kind of transfusion of His life into ours. When Jesus tells us, this is my body, this is my blood... He is telling us and reminding us that He is not untouched by our pain. Not even our death. He knows what pain is. He knows what death is. For He has tasted both. In fact, in the cross, humanity did the impossible. We killed God. Now you may not like that way of putting it, but I'm speaking here of not some philosophical, German philosophical death of God movement. I'm talking about the fact that Christ is God incarnate. He is God in the flesh, the eternal Son, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth taking on human flesh, becoming like us, becoming one of us. And He was killed.
by becoming flesh, the eternal word speaks to our suffering. He speaks into our suffering. He tells us, you're not alone. I am here. I will hurt with you. I will hurt for you. You've fallen. And so I will myself descend to you. The cross is a very sobering symbol. We think of it as a thing of beauty, a thing of of wonder. And it is a, a thing of beauty and a thing of wonder. But it is also a symbol of death. And not just any death. It is a symbol of execution and rejection. It is a symbol of punishment and rejection. The cross is the equivalent, the ancient equivalent of a needle and straps around the wrist or an electric chair. But it is the symbol of our hope. It is the symbol of our peace. It is the symbol of our redemption. Because Jesus says, this is my body. This is my blood. I am giving myself for you. And so he makes himself tangible. He makes himself tangible, flesh and blood. So that he might suffer. And so that in his suffering for us and with us, he might save. Jesus says, this is my body. This is my blood. But Jesus says also, take and eat. Take and drink. The psalmist reminds us in the most beloved psalm of all of Scripture, that he prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. In the presence of these enemies of of pain and death, He spreads before us a table. And He invites us to come. He invites us to come and eat. To come and drink. He says, come and take it. My body which is broken for you and my blood which is shed for you, they are for you and for your sustenance. They are for your consumption. They are a sacrament. When we gather around this table, we gather to partake of a sacrament. It is ultimately a mystery. How God is able to make Himself tangible for us and consumable by us. But He tells us and invites us to come and eat and drink. He doesn't invite us to come and examine and understand. He says, take and eat. Take and drink. You know, there's something mysterious about a meal that's shared among friends. There's something mysterious about a meal that's shared in fellowship with others. As we gather around a table together, 
There's something mysterious that, that, that goes on. Some, some chemistry that we don't have when we're just sitting in a movie theater together. We may have fun in a movie theater. But there's, there's a different type of chemistry about a table that is spread with food. When we eat at a table among friends, we do something more and something mysterious that we don't do when we try to cram a hamburger down our gullets at a red light while we're trying to get to our next appointment. There's just there's something almost magical about gathering around a table to share a meal with others. We gather around the table. We share words with one another. Talk about the day. Talk about the week. Talk about plans. We laugh. We enjoy one another's company. We unwind. We kind of settle in. I, I, I like how uh, the King James refers to uh, the disciples being at table with Jesus. Because it, it reminds me of some of those old paintings of them kind of laid back in a chase lounge chair, leaning in on Jesus. When we gather around a table together, when we gather to eat and drink together, we rejoice together, we unwind together, we discuss together, we commune. But there's much more of that. Much more than that. At this table. We are called to come. And celebrate. We're called to come. And take. What Christ offers us. In his body and blood. We're called to come. And receive. And He offers to us a meal in which we can celebrate. A meal in which we can find rest. A meal in which we can find sustenance for our souls. And it's a meal that reminds us of His death. That reminds us of His suffering for us. And it's in that death and in that suffering that we remember at communion, that we celebrate at communion, that heals our suffering and transforms our death. Jesus says, Behold, I make all things new. Now you might be thinking, wait a minute. David just read that passage, and that's from the book of Revelation. Not just the book of Revelation, the, the penultimate chapter of the Bible, the chapter before the last chapter of the Bible. Revelation 21 What's that got to do with the gospel? 
What's that got to do with Luke 22? What's that got to do with communion? What's that got to do with Jesus' death in our behalf? How is that a passage that Jesus says about suffering? Eucharistia, the giving of thanks. The Eucharist is a meal of thanksgiving. It's a meal of thanksgiving for what He has done. After all, He tells us, This do in remembrance of Me. Remember what I have done in your behalf. But this is a meal of thanksgiving also for what He is yet to do. This do in remembrance of Me. Jesus told His disciples at that institution of communion, when He's celebrating the Passover meal with the twelve, He tells them, I will not partake of the fruit of the vine. I will not enjoy this meal again until that day comes when I am able to enjoy it in my Father's kingdom with all of my saints. And so communion is not just a remembering of the past, it's also a remembering of the future. A remembering of what is to come. And so we give thanks remembering where He has gone from us and that He has gone to prepare a place for us. The Eucharist is a meal of anticipation. It's a foretaste of what is to come. And what the book of the Revelation tells us is that what is to come is a lack of pain. What is to come is a lack of death. What is to come is there is one who says, Behold, I make all things new. And I will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more sorrow, no more heartache, no more disease, no more suffering, no more loss, no more anguish. It will be no more. Because I am making all things new. I am redeeming all things. How does He make all things new? He makes all things new initially by stepping into the midst of all things. By suffering with all people. By tasting death for the sake of all people. When Jesus says, Behold, I make all things new. That is not some tack on to the gospel. That is the fulfillment of what is being anticipated throughout the gospel. It is what everything is, has been driving toward.
what I have been telling you, what I have been doing among you, what I have been doing in you and through you, my church, is now coming to fulfillment. And everything is being made new. Jesus does not stay away from our suffering. He draws near to it. He draws near to us in it. Our cries for help do not fall on deaf ears. Our overwhelming sense of burden by suffering is not in vain. Nor is it alone. When we walk through suffering, when we endure pain, when we find ourselves walking through death's dark, shadowy valley, We're invited to hear Him. We're invited to trust Him. We're invited to receive from Him. And we are implored to know that we're not alone. Last week I shared very briefly about um, the death of my friend Michael. And um, he was not just a friend to me, he was a friend to me and Lindsay for a number of years. We've got pictures of us back as kids at youth camp playing volleyball and hanging out. He was a friend of Andrew. And when we received the call that he had been in that wreck and that he was not going to make it, Billy was in the ambulance with him, headed to the hospital. They were trying whatever they could, even though they knew that they were fighting against a hopeless situation. And all of us friends gathered at the hospital. Imogene was just a few months old. And I remember that um, I'm, I was holding her. And I was, I mean, I, was, I had a death grip on her. I was clenching onto Imogene. And I think a couple of folks, you know, we're, we're all talking, trying to get our heads around what's going on. What do we need to do to help? Everyone's weeping. I'm, of course, weeping. I'm holding her tightly. And a couple of folks mentioned, hey, do I need to hold her for you? And I kept insisting no. Because all I wanted to do was hold on to her. She was the closest thing I could get to me. The closest person I could have to me. Because I could hold her in my arms and squeeze It's a wonder I didn't break any ribs of hers. 
when we suffer and when we hurt, yeah, we want the suffering and we want the hurt to go away. We don't want to stare down death. We don't want to stare down pain. But if it's not going to go away yet, we want someone close because we want to know that we're not alone. When Jesus tells us, this is my body, this is my blood. When he tells us, take and eat, take and drink. When he tells us, behold, I make all things new. He is speaking to us as one who is there. One who is able to suffer with us. One who has suffered for us. We are not alone. Let's pray.